0: Our passage this morning comes from Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 15 that's Luke chapter 8 1 to 15 says this after this Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God the twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases Mary called Magdalene From whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Juzah, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell along thorns, which grew up with it and choked uh, with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he came out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but have no root. They believe for a while, but in times of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries riches and pleasures and they do not mature but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it and by persevering produce a crop we have a secondary reading this morning from Isaiah 55 verses 2 to 3 and then also from 10 to 11 it says this why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love, David, uh, my faithful love promised to David, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So it yields seed for the sower and the bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out of, from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. May God bless his word.
1: Thank you, Tim. We are continuing through the Gospel of Luke, and this is a series that we've titled The Way of Salvation. And the way of salvation was announced to us through Jesus Christ, and so we're focusing this morning on the preaching of Jesus. Uh, We have just come through a section in Luke chapter 7 where we saw Jesus' encounter in three different scenes and scenarios. Uh, Pastor Stephen did a great job taking us through These different encounters and we looked at pictures of faith as well as pictures of unbelief. And last week the pictures really began to diverge as we saw the woman who was weeping at the feet of Jesus, kissing his feet, fulfilling the words of Isaiah who said, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Whereas Simon the Pharisee was not so moved and impressed with our Lord. Uh, As we come to Luke uh, chapter 8 this morning, uh, we are going to be asking the question, if the gospel is God's transforming word, why isn't everyone transformed? (laughs) If the gospel is God's transforming word, and I phrased it this way because this is our vision here at WDBC, to see all people, men, women, children, doesn't matter your age, ethnicity, religion, to see all people transformed by the word of God. If this is what we believe God's word can do, then why don't we see everybody who hears it exhibiting that transformation? Maybe you've wondered that yourself. Maybe you've thought, you know, I I talked to my family member about Christ. I, I witnessed to my spouse or my girlfriend or or my boyfriend. I, I told my classmates at school. I told my coworker. I I shared that sermon with them online. I I I gave them that book, but I don't really seem to be seeing any evidence. Maybe you have people in your life that you went to church with as a kid and now you don't know that they would even profess the name of Jesus. This text that we come to this morning, the parable of the sower and its surrounding context, help answer this question. If God's gospel is transforming word, then why isn't everyone transformed? By way of overview this morning, in this section, Luke records for us Jesus' preaching of the kingdom of God in parables. And as some have said, this parable is the parable of parables. (laughs) If you get this one, then you can understand how the rest of them work. So I encourage you, pay attention this morning. It's descriptive as well as to why some are transformed and others aren't, even if they hear the same message. And the big idea that we need to understand is this that Jesus teaches us that if the doorway to salvation opens by faith, then it is right hearing that turns the deadbolt. This whole Gospel of Luke is about showing us the way of salvation, the way that was promised, the way that Jesus. Walked, and the way we are following him in, this way of salvation, if it begins by entering through the doorway of faith, then right hearing, right listening to Jesus is what unlocks that door, what turns the deadbolt. It is right hearing that is where the Spirit of God is active in the hearts of men and women, allowing them to, to take in these truths. And it is right hearing which draws the listener forward in faith. But not all those who hear actually hear, as Jesus will, will show. Some contextual features about this passage. Jesus is addressing a crowd of apostles, disciples, and potential disciples who are gathering in the course of his itinerant healing ministry. It's not just a healing ministry, though. It's a preaching ministry as well. So Luke's account of the parable of the sower is also going to have some unique features different from Matthew and Mark. We'll get to those in a moment. But a few things you need to see. First of all, the audience it's a mixed crowd. They, they're continuing to need to evaluate their commitment. Luke will give us a summary statement in verses 1 to 3, which we'll get to in a moment. But the point is the 12 are there, some, the ones Jesus chose for himself to be his disciples. And then also along with them are, are faithful disciples, some, some women who are named in this section of the gospel. And then in addition to that, there's a crowd of people who just seem to be joining Jesus as he goes from town to town. Another contextual feature is that this describes Jesus' activity, which is preaching. You may recall at the synagogue in Capernaum when they wanted him to stay, he said, no, I must go and proclaim the good news. He had to go and gospel. Jesus is the herald, he's the preacher, and the message that he gives is that the kingdom is here. Now this word is in fulfillment and i think particularly rich is the the passage from isaiah chapter 55 where god promises that he, just like the snow and the rain come down from heaven and nourish the plant so his word will come down and his word will bring about its intended effect if you keep reading in isaiah 55 god talks about the transforming power of that word and how in the transforming this great this great forest is going to grow god is going to reclaim this land there's an essence of fulfillment in these words Not just Isaiah 55, but Isaiah chapter 6 as well, as Jesus will quote to his disciples. Fourthly, again, this idea of a reversal—reversal reversal of the kingdom of God. When Jesus talked in the Sermon on the Plain about the coming of the kingdom, we talked about how is this sort of an upside-down kingdom where where blessed are those who are more, who mourn. Blessed are the poor. And you're sort of scratching your head, really? What? Well, so too in the bringing of the message of this kingdom, there is an upside-down nature to it. God's going to establish His kingdom on earth, but it's a kingdom that's going to come. As I was saying to the kids at Scripture this week. Not with horses and knights and chariots or cannonballs or B 52 bombers or nukes. God's not going to establish his kingdom that way. He's going to establish his kingdom by planting a crop. This reversal. And finally, this is a descriptive text. Jesus, in this parable, he's going to intend that his words both probe the listener. It's meant to, to draw you and to evaluate and to say, how am I hearing? But it's also meant to be explanatory. And in that sense, it's encouraging for those who would step into the ministry of Jesus, who would become ambassadors, God's ambassadors and God's witnesses of the kingdom come, who take up the task of sowing the seed. It's descriptive. Well, as we come to the passage, verses eight, uh, excuse me, chapter eight, verse one to 15, it unfolds the account of Jesus' preaching in four parts. They all start with S. Four parts, they all start with S. The scene, the sower, the seed, and the soils. The scene, the sower, the seed, and the soils. Let's pray as we ask God's help in understanding his word. Father in heaven, would you bless the hearing of your word today? Would you strengthen us in these times, to receive what your spirit is speaking to your church. Lord, may we be faithful, faithful to speak your word rightly, but faithful to hear it rightly as well. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for how he has brought us into his family. May we eagerly hear his words. In his name we pray, amen. We start in verse 1 of chapter 8. And Luke gives a summary in verses 1 to 3. And in this, he is setting the scene. So after these encounters, Luke uses a summary statement to sort of transition us forward in the story, but also to set the scene of what he's about to teach. Jesus is traveling about from one town and village to another, it's an itinerant ministry. Jesus is being very thorough in Galilee with where he's traveling. And he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's, he's preaching and he's announcing, he's evangelizing, he's gospeling as he goes. And then Luke records those who were with him. The 12 were with him. These are the ones back in chapter 6 we read about. These are the ones who Jesus picked for himself. To be his apostles, to be his envoys, his his emissaries. They haven't done a whole lot up to this point in the narrative except for Peter, James and John who decided to leave their nets, and Levi who decided to throw him a banquet. But they've been pretty passive up to this point in time. And here the sense is not that they're fully mature apostles as they will be in the book of Acts, but they're simply there with him, they're part of the crowd, Also with him, we're told in verse two, are some women who had been cured of evil diseases, evil spirits and diseases. Note, physical healing and spiritual healing are both part of this Messiah's ministry. It's a ministry of release. It's a ministry of canceling oppression and canceling debts. This Savior who brings the Jubilee era and among them, Luke names three, which is very interesting why he chooses these three. We're not entirely sure, except we do know that two of them will be named again in Luke 24 when Jesus raises from the dead. We also know that they were women of probably some means of some sort. So they would have been known in the area known to the community. The first is Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had been cast out. Just describing the nature of her oppression. Also is Joanna, the wife of Chusa. She's the only woman named here who's attached to a man, so to speak, which would have been fairly uncommon in writing in these days. And she is the married to the steward of Herod's household, and, and it is perhaps through Joanna and through her husband that Herod begins to learn about Jesus. He'll come into play a little further on. And lastly, named is Susanna. And we don't know anything about her other than her name. But these weren't the only women with Jesus. There were other women with him as well. And Luke records the note at the end of verse three that they were helping or serving to support them out of their own means. The women from their own possessions were supplying for the needs of this itinerant ministry. It's very difficult to convey just how unorthodox this group would have been we're in an age where feminism is changing many assumptions that have been taught about women and what they could do and what they could think but in the era when Jesus is ministering to have this group of men plus another group of women who are supplying and supporting them, one of them even even married to to a different man and traveling with him, some say maybe day trips, Galilee wasn't after all that large. But what you're seeing here is the presence of Jesus is pulling on the other relationships, it's pulling on the natural relationships in the structure of the society. Relationships being redefined and reoriented around Jesus. Luke's going to pick this back up next week when we look at verses 19 to 21. But this is the scene. There's a large crowd. There's people who are beginning to to sort of grab on to Jesus. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you? This is, this is someone who is releasing people from diseases, releasing them from spiritual oppression, who's teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching with an authority that, that the religious experts and the priests don't seem to really have. Why would you not listen to this Jesus? Why would you not give up and follow him? There's a lesson in this for us as well. The only really defining characteristic as this scene opens is that they were with him. These people were with Jesus. And from his presence, they began to derive a new identity. Let me tell you a few things about this. If you are just coming to know the Lord or you're just, you're just coming to faith, you're just sort of understanding the gospel for the first time. Maybe church and religion was something that was very stuffy and formal. It was one of those features of society, one of those clubs you didn't really know much about. I remember I moved to Australia and people t- told me about the bowling club. And I'm like, the bowling club? Why does anybody go 10-pin bowling? Like, I don't, and yes, that's a different sort of bowling, I found out. And and they told me about Australian culture and and all these different clubs. I didn't know what the bowling club was. I just sort of put it in this box, this category of it's something people do to pass the time. And a lot of people think of church in that way. It's just sort of something people do to pass the time. It makes them feel good, much like you might go golfing, much like you might, you know, take up chess or backgammon or some sort of games club, some bridge. They, They put religion in this category. But then you start to be with Jesus, You encounter Christ and the Spirit of God starts ministering to your heart. You begin to wake up to spiritual truth and reality that you didn't see before and suddenly you start feeling alive. And it's at this juncture that you will begin to feel the strain and the pull from the natural relationships with the supernatural community and the supernatural work that's happening because of Jesus. If you are at that point and you are finding your relationships redefined by the living Christ, can I tell you, let Jesus have the priority. Let him define your identity. Don't try to serve the natural relationships while the supernatural work is going on. It doesn't mean you cease to be a child or a husband or a wife or a grandparent it doesn't mean you cease to be a coworker. <clears throat> Excuse me. It doesn't mean you cease to be all these things. It means it means that these relationships even get redefined. And so if you feel the tension pulling, it's okay. And this is the scene into which Jesus speaks this parable, this 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 crowd that's accumulating, and Luke recaps it for us. If this is the scene, we now get to hear from the sower. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Others fell, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he cried out, what, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is his message. In Galilee, we're looking at an agrarian economy. Uh, this would have been a very familiar story and a very familiar way of living and operating for these people. Jesus undoubtedly isn't trying to instruct them in agriculture or in their own trade. He's explaining for them something deeper. He gives them this parable. And as the parable unfolds, the emphasis, note, is on the repetition of the word of some seed fell, and the seed fell, and the seed fell, and the seed fell, and the seed fell. the fell." The sower is almost throwing or casting out this seed indiscriminately, if you will. I've been watching this show about somebody trying to learn how to farm. (laughs) And I'm learning a bit about it myself. And the amount of detail and attention that gets put into making sure the seed gets into the soil and how precise farming has become. It doesn't really line up with the precision with which the sower seems to be scattering his seed in this story. The farmer goes out and he's just throwing it. But in Luke's gospel, as he talks about where the seed falls, he uses four different prepositions to describe where it landed. And I'm sorry if this is boring you with grammar, (laughs) but it's actually important. That's because some seed fell along or beside the path. Some seed fell upon, upon, on top of rocky soil. Some seed fell amongst or in amidst seed with thorns. And some seed fell into good soil. It's only in the last soil where the seed finds its proper destination, its proper reception. And so this is why this is a parable about right hearing. It's a parable about how we receive the word of God, how it comes to us. The sower in this story is Jesus. He is the one who brings the seed, which is the word of God, He has been sent to bring the kingdom of God. And I want to stop for a moment and just focus again on the goodness of God. He could have wiped out his fallen image bearers. He could have said, much like he did in the days of Noah, no, I'm going to wipe them out. But instead of bringing his kingdom with blunt force trauma, God brings his kingdom in Jesus Christ to all the world. Yes, first to Israel, but to all the world by planting. By planting. What Luke is showing us is that the kingdom of God is here with those who have eyes to see it. It's growing in amongst all of this chaos and suffering that we see in the world. There's, there's places where the kingdom is growing. And we're told later on in the teaching of Jesus, he said that God, this is exactly what God did. He, he decided to bring his kingdom by planting a field. And then after God had planted his field, his adversary, Satan, the enemy, came, and he sowed tares among his wheat crop. And the harvesters, who Jesus says, are the angels, they come to the har- to the Lord of the harvest and they say, what should we do? Should we just pull out all these other things that have been sown into the field? And Jesus said, no, let them grow together. The Lord of the harvest says, let them grow together. They'll be separated at the end. What this says is your God is patient. Your God is loving. Your God is bringing his kingdom not with this overt squashing but with a supplanting with with, with with taking over we tried to grow a few things in Burke <laughs> in our backyard. We had this huge, massive yard, but as, as you may know uh, in the outback, it's, it's tough to get water. It's very sort of unpredictable. Um, the ground is, you know, it, it, it was decent soil. Uh, and most of the things that we tried to plant died. But there was this one tomato plant that we planted and it was amazing because within about two weeks, all the other stuff had gone away. But this tomato plant, even to the time we left, we'd sort of stopped watering it, stopped taking care of it. It just, it just kept growing. Now, can I tell you, I had no idea when we were putting that tomato plant in this little patch, which was about the size probably of your kitchen table. As we were putting this little tomato plant, we didn't know this was going to, to grow. And I just remember I'd walk out in the afternoon. I'd go out and I'd look and I'd say, wow. I had no idea that this, 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 little packet, this little packet of seeds could just turn into this thing. And it got so bad that it actually, it sort of broke outside the borders that, that we had put around it and it was, it was starting to grow in where we were trying to grow grass. I'd walk out and say, I don't, I don't even know how this is there. This is what the kingdom of God is gonna be like. Periodically, people go out through history and they just scratch their head and they say, I can't believe the church is still around. At the end of the day, in the harvest, people are gonna say, wow, the kingdom of God has been growing all this time. I didn't even realize it. This is the testimony we hear of people who come, who come to faith. They, they come to us and they say, all this time, I didn't even realize what was going on. Can I tell you that's exactly how it is? Jesus would tell a very profound proverb in John chapter 12 right before in John's gospel he goes into, into the upper room discourse and then, and then on to the narrative of his death on the cross. Just before he goes into that section, one of the last teachings of Jesus is unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. And so in the paradox of all paradoxes. Jesus, who through his words is speaking and announcing the kingdom of God and sowing that seed, this same Jesus will himself become the true seed. And by giving his life, he will usher in the complete overthrow of the tyrannical forces that are oppressing God's creation both the created world and those who were created to bear his image. But at this point in the gospel, Jesus is sowing the seed. This means that everyone is meant to hear. If we are waiting to speak to Jesus until we feel like we've found the perfect person who's ready to to hear and listen to us, then we're not doing what Jesus did. My fear is that sometimes we become so put off at the thought of rejection. We get so put off at the thought that people aren't going to like my Christian witness that, that I'm going to withhold the news. I'm going to withhold the message. I'm not going to, I'm not going to share the word of God. I'm, I'm going to hold it back because, because I, I don't see how it's going to land. But Jesus sows indiscriminately it goes everywhere. Now, what about the seed? We've, we've talked about the seed, we've talked about the sower, talk briefly about the seed. Jesus, and he's explaining this parable, he says, the seed, verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Now on first reading you could think, oh, Jesus is talking about the seed is my Bible. Jesus came to give me the Bible. Well, that doesn't work historically, it doesn't work chronologically, and it doesn't work contextually, okay? Yes, we believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, but in this parable, the word of God, the seed is not the scriptures, although the scriptures contain the truth of the seed. The seed, the message that Jesus is speaking, is the word of the arrival of the kingdom of God. This is completely in alignment with what's foretold of the servant of the Lord in Isaiah. And yes... This arrival of the kingdom of God brings a whole host of things. It means redemption. It means forgiveness of sins. It means the ushering in of a new covenant, which means, through other prophets, the outpouring of the Spirit of God so that we would know the mind of the Lord and know the heart of the Lord. So, so these things aren't, aren't entirely separate. But what I want us to understand is that when Jesus talks about the seed being sown, he's not talking about hitting people with the Bible He's talking about the word about Christ, the arrival of the Messiah, the redeemer being here, the kingdom of God has come and is coming. This is why even though the instructions that God gave Israel were entirely clear, Jesus says that his word that he's sowing is not clear. The seed comes as a parable. This is what the disciples, they say, what do you mean by this parable? Here's Jesus' response. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. In other words, the right hearing of the seed. The knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God or the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. Or to the rest, I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. What's going on here? First of all, you need to realize Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter six, that famous passage where the prophet sees the throne room of God and he just sort of beholds the, 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 the train of the robe of God and he's overcome. Woe is me, he says. I have no business being here. I'm in deep doo-doo. And the angel takes a coal from the fire, anoints his lips, and he says, here am I. I'll go, Lord. I'll take your message. And God says, good. Take the message. Take the message so they don't hear. Take the message so they don't see. Take the message so they don't understand. What? If we're not careful here, we're tempted to think God is... Setting people up to fail. Is that what he's doing? I don't think so. You see, God, in his mercy and his compassion, he never leaves people without witness, he always leaves them with a witness testifying to his character and his nature. This is why even the created order should speak to people who've never picked up a Bible. The creation should speak to them that there is an almighty and an all-powerful God who is reigning and you're accountable to him. So seek him. Here in the case of his people Israel, they had turned away to idols. They weren't listening to God. And when they were participating in the religious claptrap of, of, of the day and, and all the functions when they were doing that, they weren't doing it with a heart that was really actually seeking God. They were just going through the motions of their duties because, well, that's what they were supposed to do. And I guess they thought, if I, if I tick all the boxes, then God's going to sort of give me that boost. He'll sort of tick me over the top, and I'll get to live my best life now. And so God says, No, I'm going to send a message so that everyone will know what I'm hearing. But as the saying in the early church goes, the same sun that melts the candle also bakes the clay. The same sun that melts the wax bakes the clay. There is a hardening effect that goes on. Now, how does this relate to the fact that Jesus is teaching in parables? What he's saying is, Jesus says, I'm giving people enough. I'm speaking to them enough that if they're really interested and they're really engaged, they will be drawn further in. But I'm not being overt enough. I'm not being so obvious that that." if they really don't wanna listen anyway, they're not gonna be bothered by what I'm saying and they're just gonna leave it alone. And so here we need to understand the parables, the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom of God using very common everyday language, they function to do two things at the same time. Two things at the same time. The first thing they do is they, they enable people, they extract faith. Those who would trust and who would believe in hearing the teaching of Jesus are drawn in, just like the disciples here, they're drawn in to say, can you explain this to me? Help me understand this. What does God mean when he says this? But the parables also simultaneously function, not only to extract faith, but to exact judgment on those who wouldn't listen. So that at the end of the day, they will... They won't have any excuse. You say, why would God go to all this trouble? I suggest to you it's because he's very different than us. God cares about faith. You see, we often just care about performance. We just care about, have you ticked the box? Have you complied? I spent so much time last night reading the public health order. (laughs) trying to work out how do we make sure that we're actually complying and if I get it wrong I'm sorry but we can become so consumed with compliance but God is concerned not simply with external compliance he's concerned with the heart he's looking for people who will trust him he's looking for people who will love him so he's happy to give a parable that draws out those who are seeking that they might learn more But the seed, the word of God, is effective. It's effective. Notice, even though of the four instances that Jesus describes, the seed that falls on the path, the seed that falls on the rocky soil, the seed that falls among the thorns, and the seed that falls in good soil, even though only one of them actually went on to bear fruit, that one seed bore fruit a hundredfold. I would rather have one person totally transformed for the kingdom of God than a hundred people who are kind of attached to Jesus, but the actual work of faith is not bearing fruit. Because at the end of the day, Jesus will harvest the crop. That's what will go into the kingdom. Now, finally, what this means is Christian, don't be discouraged. You say, I give the gospel, I talk about God, I I tell them about the coming of Jesus and the Messiah. I tell people this all the time. Nobody really seems to be responding. Don't worry. The problem is not with the gospel. The problem is not that the kingdom of Jesus isn't here. The problem is not that Christ isn't reigning. As we are talking about this in Sermon in Scripture this week. We're saying so many times when, when we don't see growth happening, when, when we don't see people responding and being transformed, what we want to do is we want to pull out the seed and look at it and start cutting it open. And so we, we start to dissect the gospel and say, well, you know, I actually, I think this message is inadequate. You know, it's not really, it's not really doing its job. I, I, I'm sitting here cutting this thing open, polishing the seed up, making sure that it's, it, it's really shaped well. The DNA for transformation is inherent to the kingdom message. You don't need to put it there. God already put it there. Give the gospel, people will be changed, people will grow. Point them to Christ, they will be transformed because the kingdom is a real reality. And finally, the soils. The soils represent those who hear the word. And so the soils describe for us conditions impacting how Jesus himself is heard. Now, I know if you've been in church for some time or been in Sunday school in your past, you might be familiar with this. But we'll just look at them briefly. The first soil is actually more of a path. It's a place where people are traveling. It's not for growing things. It's for getting around. And so when the message of the kingdom falls on a heart that is not really interested in growing and is really just interested in traversing the ways of humanity, then what happens is that message, it just gets trod under the feet of the people walking by. But it's not simply enough that the ground is hard and the seed can't can't actually fall there. It's not enough that it just sort of falls by the wayside because there's something else going on here. Jesus says that the birds come in. And when he's explaining the parable, he says the explanation is Satan himself comes in and he takes the seed away. You know, maybe if the seed lingered there for a while, you know, in a season of rain or something, it might start to start to grow a little bit, but Satan comes in and he takes it away. Let this be instructive to you. Jesus says, "Satan takes the word of God away lest they might believe and be saved." Satan doesn't want you saved. So he will actively remove the word of God from your life. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know if I believe in all that spirituality, you know, evil spiritual forces, demons, Satan, all that stuff. It's just a bit, uh, not really for me. I don't really think that's too real. Let me put it, put it to the test this way. If you don't think what I'm talking about is real, I'm going to give you a challenge. Set yourself to meditate on the word of God for one hour every day this week. And tell me next week whether you were able to complete it. Tell me how many interruptions or distractions came upon you. You see, the enemy is in the business of taking the word of God out of our lives. He doesn't even want us to even think about it and meditate on it. As C.S. Lewis was writing in his screw tape letters, as Pastor Stephen reminded me this week, and, and the elder demon is talking to, to the younger demon, and he said, you know, people get all concerned they think us as demons, we're trying to put things into people's heads. He says, we're not. We're, we're, we're trying to just keep things out. Satan will gladly have you contemplating drivel meaningless nonsense so that you don't actually meditate on the word of God. He will get you fascinated in things that have absolutely no bearing on your life or reality just so you won't contemplate the word of God. Watch it. Watch the clock. Give it a try. But note also what Jesus understands, that it's at this point of hearing when the word is received and it's heard and the message of the kingdom is is heard, that's when people can enter salvation. All it takes is faith. And we come to the next two soils. Both have a decent start. The first is the rocky soil. And we're told that in this soil, there is, there's an obstruction that prevents the seed from taking root. And so, what happens is above the ground, there is something that looks like growth, but as the seasons change above the soil, the lack of moisture and a lack of stability and structure and root beneath the surface of the ground lead to the withering of the plant. And what's interesting here is in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, the account is written in such a way that it says, in the time of affliction or the time of tribulation, which, which refers to suffering. In the time of tribulation or suffering, the word falls away. So the picture in those gospels is that The word of God isn't bearing fruit in somebody's life because when things get really hard, they fall away. But in Luke's gospel, he uses a different word. He uses a word called testing. And this is the exact same word that Luke used to describe Jesus' preparation in the wilderness. The Spirit sent him in the wilderness to be tested. So you see, in the case of the rocky soil... This person is not enduring. They're not able to make it through the testing. You say, what, what testing was Jesus experiencing in the wilderness? Well, I wasn't here that week. This is where Satan tempted him and he looked at his need and his hunger and he said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then he took him up on a high mountain. He said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. He took him to another high place and said, Look at all the kingdoms of the earth. Look what I can give to you if you would just bow down and worship me. You see, the testing was tempting. There's a place for enduring temptation. And can I say to you, brothers and sisters, if you feel like you are not enduring temptation, maybe there's a lack of root. Maybe there's a lack of moisture. Maybe there's a lack of, of, of the life of God flowing up within you to allow his word to grow. Tellingly enough, in the third soil, the seed falls among thorns. And what's interesting to me in this soil is that when the seed falls in, there's already something growing there. But the picture is that as what's already growing in, in the heart of this person meets with the word of God, the word of God begins to grow as well. But but if something isn't done about those thorns, Jesus says that the thorns will grow and the word under the force and under the power of these thorns will wither away. It will be choked, it will be asphyxiated. You say, What are the thorns? Luke says plainly, Jesus says plainly, they are worries, wealth, and pleasure. They're all the things pertaining to this life. If we become so obsessed with the things of this life, it will asphyxiate The maturing of the word of God. I think this is something that we need to hear in (laughs) Sydney. There's so much that we could worry about, so much time we could give to the things that give us pleasure, so much time that we could give to just money in and of itself. And yet these things will choke the word. But there is a seed that falls into good soil and this we're told by Jesus in verse 15. It's those who hear the word with a good and noble heart. They hold to it, they retain it and through persevering produce a crop. Is the kingdom of God transforming your life? If you look back on the seasons of your life and you say, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't see much change. I don't see that I'm really different. I, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and and that love and forgiveness and and and, and this reality of this upside down world and, and, and I don't, I don't see that reality in my life. This parable is meant to meant to tell you to ask: Are you hearing it properly? Are you giving it a hearing? Is the word being taken away? Is there a lack of depth? Is there some obstruction that's not allowing the word of God to penetrate to your heart? Or is there something else that's growing in your heart and you're thinking, yes, I love God, but I also love fill in the blank. It's confronting as a parent because you often think, I have this one opportunity in my life to to raise up children and you do everything you can but often as parents we think if I want to raise my kids in the Lord I want to raise them to know and love God I got to make sure I just have the morning devotion time or I need to make sure that I pray with them before they go to bed or I need to make sure I bring them to church and we think if we tick the box and we do that it's okay But the reality is, while we might be sowing the word of God at the dinner table every night or before they go into bed, if we've been sowing other things into their hearts, love for this world, love for pleasure, worry and anxiety and obsession and insecurity, if I'm sowing these things into their heart throughout the week, I might be setting them up for failure. It might be time for us to examine what's been sown in our hearts and what we're sowing in the hearts of others. But it all starts with a hearing. Jesus positions himself as the preacher. He's the one bringing the word, he's bringing the good news. He says, I got a story for you. God's gonna take over this earth. He's not gonna do it like a conquering hero. He's going to come first before he comes on the white horse he's going to come in the dust and the grime and in the dirt of a sweaty farmer with a bag full of seed and he says I'm going to throw this I'm going to throw this good news out wherever and trust me the farmer says trust me in the end my crop is going to take over whatever was here before and there's going to be a great harvest Will we allow that crop to grow in our lives? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have been so gracious and patient with us. (coughs) Lord, we recognize that the kingdom is different. We recognize that you're calling us in new paths. We recognize that the work that you've given, the work that you're doing through your Holy Spirit within us is a transforming work, that we're not gonna be the same as we were. So Lord, we, we just ask that you would continue to prune us, to tend us, that we might flourish and bear fruit for the kingdom and fruit for your glory. Lord, we know you're doing all of this out of love. May we not doubt you or your purposes for us. Amen.